Stem Cells at Lunch Digested is brought to you by the Centre for Stem Cells and Regenerative Medicine at King's College London. Hello, today we have uh, Dr. Edward Anezzo at Stem Cells at Lunch. Um, uh, Edward is a theoretical physicist who models stem cell fate during mouse embryo development and in cancer initiation. Uh, he's done his studies in, uh, in uh, Paris, his PhD in uh, Institut Curie, and now is a postdoctoral researcher at the group of Ben Simons in Cambridge. Hi, Edouard, thanks for coming today. So uh, tell me, can you tell me a bit the focus of your, of your work? Well, thank you very much for the invitation. So uh, the focus of my work, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in, in, in a variety of aspects of developmental biology, homeostasis and cancer initiation. Uh, and indeed, I think the, the, the general approach that we're, that we're interested in is, not, is to look at data sets which are more at the cellular level. In particular, we, we, we're, we're modelers, so we don't want to model the full complexity of a cell. But we want to ask, okay, are there some intermediate levels of description on which you can understand the cellular events which are uh, driving sort of how tissue renew or how cancer initiates. And so in general, for instance, lineage tracing approaches in which you label one cell and then look at its, uh, the, uh, look at, at its progeny. Uh, that's very interesting because in a way that really uh, um, that, that gives you simple data sets in which you can understand functionally uh, how stem cells behave without having to understand everything maybe about uh, every molecular pathway that's involved in theirs. So, and these are, all, these are examples in which uh, quantitative approaches are important because it's, there's a lot of data sets being generated, which I guess is a general problem in biology nowadays. So basically you kind of quantify everything that we biologists are able to see, but sometimes are unable to describe. And I think w one of the most interesting things about your job is about your analysis is that basically you are modeling and give us lots of interesting hypotheses that we then can taste back into the lab and yeah. analyze whether, I don't know, the compartment of stem cells that you're looking at will be responsible for the initiation of the cancer or if they are just the cells that yeah. are under the, the tumor and will be kind of the niche that supports the tumor. So. Uh, which kind of uh, uh, cancers are you looking at? Which kind of tumors are you looking at? Which are the systems uh, that uh, your collaborators uh, are looking at and you're analyzing? Uh, so a lot of the, a lot of the examples uh, we look at have to do with uh, skin cancer because indeed that's our, what, what our collaborators are, lo are looking at. And I think indeed, as you say, it's, uh, it's much more fun to look at these problems in collaboration because there's a lot of, I mean, from the biology side, there's a lot of data being generated and to analyze. From the, from the, from the theory side, there's many possible models you can write. And indeed, if you don't test them, I mean, if you don't try to test them afterwards, you, you'll never know what's the, the correct thing because, you, I mean, there's just no way to, of guessing a priori. So we're, looking at, we're mainly driven by our experimental collaborators, so a lot of skin cancer, a lot of uh, mammary cancer as well, because we're interested in mammary, uh, de the mammary development and cancer initiation. Those are sort of, I guess, the big two uh, things I'm looking at. And what is the big challenging challenge between these kind of collaborations because myself I've been working a lot of mathematicians too and sometimes we I realize that we speak different languages yeah. so uh, you have to explain 
to a mathematician what is a mitosis, that is a cell division, but then the mathematician has to explain <laughs> me what is this algorithm and what is this. So how do you interact and how, how is it based and how challenged can it be for you? Well, I think, that, yeah, that's the reason why it's, I think collaborations, I mean, the best collaborations really are from the start because, I mean, what's not, what's, What's not, what's not very fun in the collaboration is if someone comes at the end of the story and says, well, can you sprinkle a bit on theory of that? Because uh, indeed, first of all, you, first of all it's, it's less fun. You cannot test hypotheses, but also it, 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 it increases the risks of uh, misunderstanding because indeed you take, I mean, essentially, I think there's no other option than to spend ages to talk and talk and talk and talk <laughs> to make sure that uh, both have understood very well the problem. So I think it's why indeed, it, I mean, it's why it's... Uh, biologists and physicists are trying to get in, be in the same institutes nowadays because uh, yeah, I think that nothing that replaces daily interactions. <laughs> Or having a student that is both in one uh, theoretical lab and yeah. in one uh, no, wet true. lab. Yes, that's work. true. Yeah. So how are you doing experiments also yourself? No, that's the, I, I admire immensely people that are able to do both. I mean, it's, I, I, I think it's, it's I, I did a few experiments actually before uh, mainly in vitro culture, but it's, I mean, I think either of the activity completely drains your head, actually. So I, I don't know how people do to, to, to be able to, to wrap their heads around doing both. I mean, it's... <laughs> and, and in the future of your career, would you see yourself going back to the more uh, theoretical physicist approach or you want to continue on this biophysics Or are you thinking about, I don't know, imagine that in a few years' time you develop your own research group. Were you thinking about having a lab that will be having a wet and a dry lab or always working with collaboration? So how would you see that that will be the future of your research and maybe yeah. the research of people in your field? Well, I mean, I think personally, I think it's always better to start to start with what you really, what you know quite well. I think, I mean, sometimes if you, I mean, Sometimes if you try to do both things, I guess you, there's always a risk of, of not mastering any, I mean, master of none, right? And, and so, uh, I, I, personally, I think, I mean, I would, I, 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 I always think that it's better to, to start with collaborators and, and do the theory. And then if there's a, if there's a, a very focused problem to start doing experiments on, or, I mean, maybe to go very slowly on, uh, on, on, on doing, on doing both, but I think mm -hmm. it's, uh, yeah. I always think it's better to start with with your strength. <laughs> and do you think your analysis can be then, for example, if you look at human cancers and you cannot look at early stages of this uh, cancer the, uh, initiation, but um, then you can look at later stages and maybe infer for from the later stages of these, uh, let's say, skin uh, tumors, if the modeling that you're developing for mouse uh, uh, skin, would it fit also human data? No, yeah, that, that's that's. A, I, I think that's, that's that's the really frustrating part is that now we're starting to understand so well many aspects of mice and and it's and you never know if it's going to be applicable to humans. Uh, I, I I think indeed I mean because when you when you're dealing with human data, essentially you're making so many some. I mean essentially you're making so many assumptions because there's there's not so many experiments you can do on humans, so so you have very incomplete data sets. So the key thing is about. To knowing, having confidence in your in your assumptions, and indeed, I mean, mice. At least, I mean, if if your assumptions are validated on mice, then you feel at least a bit confident in making your in 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 applying your theory to human. Mm -hmm. uh, otherwise, because otherwise, there's a bit too many holes to to be confident to to feel confident. So I think that's yeah, that's how I see sort of the interaction between the two. So there will be the possibility to kind of translate these 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 uh, analyses into. Uh, 
Yeah, hope, looking at, yeah. Human, at human at human samples, like they already well, done in Antestine, for example. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. I think there, I think there are, for instance, in image tracing, there are some interesting approaches based on on sequencing or on naturally uh, occurring um, mar uh, clonal mark. I mean, clonal marker like mitochondrial deficiencies, for instance. So, so I do think that there are some things, some knowledge we can import from mice to human, indeed. Mm -hmm. That sounds fascinating, and. Uh, now a completely out of the box question that maybe will inspire our our, our audience. What makes someone that study physics yeah. be in love with biology <laughs> and uh, start looking at cells that are not battery <laughs> cells but that are living cells? <laughs> uh, well, actually, I've always been I've always wanted to work in biology. So for me, it was always it was always. Uh, I was always driven by biology because I think it's the most comp I mean, it, it's really the, I mean, the most complex and, and, and interesting uh, topic uh, of research. Then it's just that I was useless in the lab, so I just turned to, to physics because I thought, well, that's the, that's the way I can be useful. So <laughs> you, you study physics already with biology in your mind? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, well, thanks for, so much for coming today. Oh, thank you. And uh, see you in a week's time for another Stem Cells at Lunch Digested. Mm -hmm.